Thursday, July 2nd, and we're talking about how to stay well while fighting for social justice with Sarah and Leah, <laughs> otherwise known as Everyday Wellbeing MN. Um, uh, this is a really timely article that you found. I, were there tons of articles on this topic out there? You know, I didn't specifically see, I mean, I do think right now, you know, if you go through social media, I think there are a lot of things that are being written. I can't remember exactly sort of what I was looking for as I came across this article. Um, but I just, I definitely thought, like, it kind of hit me to my core of just like, because <laughs> I know I've been engaging very deeply and probably a little too deeply with media right now. Um, and so trying to figure out, um, yeah, how to balance, like, the struggle that it is. And I recognize that myself as a white woman, I have immense privilege to be able to take myself out of these things and mm -hmm. say, okay, I'm going to take, I'm going to take care of myself um, in a way that black people in America can't do um, as easily. I mean, I think there's ways to do that, but obviously it's much more of a struggle. But, um, but yeah, so just, I came across this. I think that that was really important. I had also recently found this framework of sort of, uh, you know, they call it sort of the ecology of social justice work. And it's like all these different roles that we can play, that an individual can play in the work of social justice. So to say that not everybody plays the same role, not everybody brings the same skills. There are those people who are there on the front lines, organizing, doing that, using their voice very loudly. But then we also need caregivers and, you know, connectors. I think they call them weavers and, you know, mm. guides and, you know, people that do the organization, the creatives that create graphics and all of these sorts of things. So I thought coming across that and then having this article about how to take care of yourself while you're engaged in a fight for social justice um, was just very timely and important, so. I love it, and I think um, one thing uh, that you said that, that definitely hits home, and it was a point of the article, is just that idea of when you have a balance scale and you're thinking about, oh, global pandemic, <laughs> racial justice, self-care it's really easy to think self-care comes third i mean my gosh these are global long deep historical traumas that really need our attention so i'll put that self-care piece second but you know you and i talk about this so frequently with our well-being work that no the well-being needs to be there as your little your little constant foundational pieces to let you do that big work i loved that point of the article the one thing that the, the article didn't um, deal with, and um, this is just my take on it as a, a white woman of privilege, is feelings of shame or inadequacy. Like you were saying, what, what's my role in this? I, I, don't, I don't necessarily feel like I can be on the front lines. Like I, um, sometimes I don't feel safe in events with large numbers of people, but also I feel like I want to support efforts and I know I'm a white woman so I want to do a lot of listening and learning and I, I want to 
participate appropriately and um, not knowing how to do that and not recognizing there are these different roles sometimes stops me. Right. Yeah, no, I think that that, that is definitely an important piece because I felt that too, like, you know, I should be out there. We should be seen in numbers. Um, you know, I should be part of the marches and so forth. And I have participated in, in things here in my town, you know, on a smaller scale, which I do think is important because I need to speak locally, especially in a very white and sort of isolated town. Um, so I do think it is important that, you know, we make our voices heard here. Um, in our own community and um but yeah just then for me thinking about like how can i contribute what can i do um you know so again what's the you know that sense of like well i'm a very organized person i don't i'm not particularly saying about this self but if one were to say well i'm kind of like to do things behind the scenes and i'm really organized and i'm great with an excel spreadsheet and it, you know think mm -hmm. about you can, you can like create a website for your group, or you can create a Facebook group, you can moderate something, you know, you can create Excel spreadsheets to, you know, to track things or keep a database of, you know, people to contact and stuff like that. Like all of those pieces you think about, I mean, it's the same way of like running an organization. Right. You need the ideators, you need the organizers, you need yeah. the people who are going to stand up there and speak um, to the public and, all of those things and, and this really should should be no difference there are roles for everyone to play and so I and maybe this is something like I can share that that resource that I found on our Facebook page mm. um, at everyday well-being MN um, and people can take a look at that because I think that would be you know that would be helpful way to frame things for people who are feeling overwhelmed not knowing where to start and feeling like especially in the age of covid like i mean yeah i'm not comfortable being in a crowd of five thousand people you know and if you don't have that starting point it's hard to know where to go to i mean if i could go to a small rally i, I and and listen to people i want to hear and listen i mean i've i've heard i've been seeking out things online and on the television and on the radio and I'm I am listening but that's just a one-on-one -on -one listen I I would really like to find my people go to a small event where people are safe and socially distanced or even an online event participate in that and then hear what are the next steps and how can I support it um, would make me feel safe but I do think that not knowing that there are different roles and feeling like this is social justice is so big is paralyzing and so you can err on the side of doing nothing yeah. or or learning but not doing and i think there was one of the um recommendations they had four recommendations and one was about the the cycle that um you need to i think it was under the breath they talked about the breath giving you time to learn and then debrief or time to do
do that cycle of I'm listening and learning and now I'm acting and then I need to come back and I need to recharge and kind of synthesize that and put that all together so that I can go learn and listen more, do some more and make sense of that and continue my journey. And I thought that was an excellent point because I'm, I'm an action person like you. I just want to do, 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 do. And they're saying, if you don't stop and take the breath, you're not synthesizing and taking that to the next level. And that is really true. Breath gives you time to pause and to think about it. I thought it was an excellent point that these things are cycles and to, to be conscious of allowing that cycle to happen and by pausing and taking a breath is one way you can do that. I loved that point. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at that piece of the article right now. Uh, we should create the space to learn, unlearn, find deep spiritual practice in a calm way. And that doesn't happen if you're constantly in a headspace of go, go, go. Right. And, and that, that part of the article actually ended with something saying that honest self-reflection is one of the core tenets of allyship and acting as an ally. And I, I loved that. I mean, you've, you, you can't be part of a movement and not be aware and um, self-reflective. I don't yeah. think, unless you're, unless you're doing it for show or superficiality. Well, and I think I've been seeing this I, in sort of like the well-being yoga meditation spaces that I've, you know, sort of trained and learned in. They talk a lot about the concept of spiritual bypassing in which you make everything about love and light. And I practice yoga and it's love and light and it's all beautiful, beautiful. And you're not willing to recognize like the dark parts of a spiritual journey yeah. and, and you're, you're bypassing that. You're saying, I'm above it. I'm above it. It is all about light is all about peace. Yeah. And you're not willing to go deeply to do that. Yeah. So it's like, you're walking around there just being like, Oh, love and light, love and light. But the reality is, is we have to go into the deep recesses in order for us to truly be able to put love and light into the world. I would never say like, we don't need more love and light in the world. Yeah. <laughs> but when it's sort of these empty platitudes. And so I'm now hearing that um, in these racial spaces where they're yes. bypassing thing to say, great, you put Black Lives Matter up on your social media and you did, you checked off these little things that you did. You maybe even went to a protest, you know, so you did these things, but you're not taking any time to reflect on to your reflect. place. It's such a good point. I think, um, I really do think I would like to focus more on exactly that point because I know that you and I are both people who can be really easily perturbed by superficiality. And it's not that we need every conversation to be super serious, but when you cannot talk about racial justice in a superficial way, you just cannot. And you cannot talk about racial justice without understanding your own part in it. And, um, and I think an understanding the, the greater social parts of it that really do require deep reflection, which is why we find it hard to move forward because people are happy to go to rallies and shake their fist in the air and put Black Lives Matter signs up in their yard. But when you say, how do you contribute towards this? That is 
that is a hard pill to swallow for all of us. And I don't know that we know how to do it. I can't really do it with myself. I need to hear and react to other people's voices. I need people to say, um, I was told that I microaggressed, uh, you know, because I, I said this area was like a ghetto. Um, and, and, and talk about what that means. Or when I see these people in those places, I do have this thought about safety and to have a real talk about what that means for each of us. That's, that is the hard work of this, isn't it? It is hard. Yeah. And ultimately though, like I firmly believe like no meaningful change happens without that, <laughs> that work. And I think like you and I both have talked about and we've experienced the idea. I mean, I am on a 15-year journey of deep self-reflection that kicked off because I developed a panic disorder <laughs> and said, oh, something about the way that I'm living in this world is not working for me. And now I'm having this physical manifestation in my body. My body is just out of control and I was in so much misery. But, you know, and now I can look at my life and I just go, God, I really love my life. And there's so many wonderful, beautiful things in my life. But I have worked really hard for a long time. And now you make it, it's your practice. It's part of your practice, just like this well-being piece. Self-reflection is part of our, our living practice because development requires reflection, requires deep knowledge which you can then transfer to action and i think that's it's hard for people if you're just an individual average person to know how to do that and the point of the article about keeping well you are not going to enter into a deeply reflective vulnerable authentic discussion unless you feel safe and part of that safety is our own well-being practice that we create for ourselves. How centered and supported do I feel? And part of it is also the environment that we're entering into and how safe we feel entering into those discussions. I think that is such a good point that in order to truly be a part of it, we've got to be self-reflective and that that in itself is difficult and there are not a lot of instructions or, or tools or resources to help us do that. And I think like the big thing that I keep reflecting on and, and it sort of, it, it, it bears it out from my own personal experience and just what I've seen in, in dealing with other people, both personally and professionally is like, you know, to be able to have these conversations or, and be able to, like, deliver, you know, what may be a bit of a, you know, criticism and feedback, critical feedback to someone, yeah. you know, it's, you know, someone in your family that you have to speak to and say, that hurt me, or you're doing it in the workplace and say, like, this project is not working and I need to do that, and that people can't hear that when they don't feel safe. Yeah automatically get defensive because they think you're attacking who they are that you're telling them you are a bad person as yeah. opposed to you made a choice you did something that isn't working and how can we do that so how can we improve upon it so 
I mean, I think that's something that I've thought about a lot is to like with my, you know, family and close loved ones to, to make sure that they know that pretty much no matter what, like nothing they can do is going to make me not love them. Like, you know, and that that's we good point. have discussions and arguments that, um, where we disagree, but it, it's not going to mean that I love you any less or any differently or anything like that. And I think we unfortunately like are missing that so much in the world that so many of us are without sort of that love and support. And we've never had it modeled for us of like how you can, and our, our parents certainly didn't most right didn't have that nor did their parents or whatever and so I think about this now going forward as we as we know better to be able to say okay how how do I enter into a relationship with someone you know again whether it's personally or professionally to build trust so that we can have these conversations and you can say something and maybe say something wrong and my reaction is not see you're a terrible person yeah that it's it's does this remind you at all Sarah of the work we've done in the workplace as organization development consultants that it's all about the culture in the workplace around problem solving you know I always say when I go in to assess a workplace there are two things that I ask people what's your decision making process and what's your problem solving process and a lot of times people cannot speak to either one of those um, and if they do not have a problem-solving process, that is absolutely a sign of difficulty. And those organizations that say, we have a really great leader who's very accepting, who sets the tone, who will set aside space and say, you know, we, we, had, a, we had an issue and I want to give us space to talk about it, so here are the boundaries. I've got a, an external... Um, neutral facilitator in to help us with this discussion. Anything that's said here is purely in the spirit of developing. We're all gonna stay positive, that type of thing. For organizations that have a process like that, who say mistakes are viewed as learning, we are supported in our exploration and self-discovery to move to the next level, they'll get through anything. Those organizations will be fine no matter what. Yeah. Um, but if you don't have that in an organization, then you have fear and that comes, it leads to people hiding and lying. Um, it could maybe lead to things like sabotage. And this racially charged atmosphere we're in is like that times 10,000. You, you know, you are very wary of what you say and how you say it and who is saying it. Um, and we need, we need leadership and guidance in how to have these conversations and who to have the conversations with and, and an acceptance that if you're really genuinely here to learn, listen, and do something good, then you'll be supported in that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and you know, I, you know, you know me, I, I drive from a very heart centered approach and I just believe even, you know, in the, in the workplace, like we, we can't, we can't disconnect our humanity and the realities of who we are. And we say, Oh, that's not, that's, you know, don't bring that to work with you and whatever. And there are capacities in which, you know, certain cases, you know, where you do have to kind of leave something at the door, 
you know, if you're a doctor, like you have to put that away because you've got to perform surgery, like (laughs) learn this. But when we, when we disconnect our humanity so greatly from, you know, the, the professional work that we do or, you know, how we engage in our communities and stuff like that. Like, I just, I I think we're lost. Absolutely. Um, And I just, you know, I, I just firmly believe that relationships are, are the key to just about everything. And And how we manage these and we need, we need leadership and role models to help us do that. I mean, I love the whole, um, uh, restorative justice practice, which, you know, a lot like Art of Hosting and all of those types of movements values every voice, acknowledges that every voice has a different perspective and that without all perspectives, we do not have a clear picture of any one scenario or situation. Um, and I think we need that here. We, we need to, and these are deeply contentious issues with long, long histories. So people are heated. Um, so we need we need some leadership and some role models about how to have these discussions. I've been very interested watching uh, some of the interactions between protesters and police units. And I saw one today where a young um, African American woman was just saying they just they they were there preventing us from protesting basically, and we were really trying to convince them. You're, you should actually be supporting us. This is, this is a cause that we're all interested in. You don't want to be on the wrong side of this. Join us, join us. And the guy was saying, but, but it's my job to protect this place. And they, you know, they were really, they're really like at ends. And he said, I really, I believe in the movement. I want to support you, but this is my job. And another woman said, would you take a knee? Would you just take a knee with us? And he said, sure. And then he did. And then three other police officers did, and then soon everybody was taking a knee. And then you're in a much different situation and can have very different discussions between the participants going. It was really moving to watch. But I think you're struggling. How do I connect with people and get them on board? How do I get my point across when it is contentious and um, and you're, you're not always going to have people who are going to be on your side necessarily or be supporting you along in in your pursuit yeah i i keep going back here to the article and it was number four in the article but i in some many ways i think like this always has to be kind of the first thing and it's the start small um because again like you we were talking about earlier the enormity of all of this stuff um for any one person, even, you know, people that are able to sort of work on the policy level, you know, a super macro level, even, you know, the fatigue that sets in when you think about the enormity of, you know, what has to be done. And so, you know, and I think about this just from my personal, like day to day, running a business, doing all this, it's just like, I would rather start small and be consistent then go super deep, burn myself out, and then be left to recover and take myself out of the quote-unquote fight, you know, what, whatever that, that means. And so I do love this idea, you know, that this woman, and I'm forgetting now 
what her role is. Uh, she's a registered dietitian. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, just her perspective of saying, like, you need to start small. Yeah. Uh, it's a marathon, you right. know, racial justice and social justice, uh, life, everything. It is a marathon. These are not sprints. We, we, you may have a sprint for one particular thing. Yeah. Yeah. But our physical bodies cannot sustain yeah. a long distance sprint. There is a reason why it is a hundred meter dash and, you know, and a 1500 meter jog, you know, yeah. you cannot go that fast, that hard, that deep for a sustained period of time. Our bodies aren't meant to do this. And, and it's a really good point when you're talking about something like a, like a cause as important and as global as this, because you can't just go at the, the hot end of it, at the fast end of it all the time. If you go to a protest and a rally and you feel like you're really energized, um, you do have to stop and then think, okay, that was one piece. What's another piece that I can do to keep it going? You, you just can't, you, you can't do it all at once. And, and I also think um, it's easy then to, to say, I did that one thing, okay, and, and maybe not know what to do next. Right. I love the notion that you said earlier about there are many different parts and roles to play in these. So if you do start small and you did go to an event or you did learn something, then you could maybe think, so maybe I'll have a discussion with somebody. I think that was one of the things they talked about, um, thinking about your, your circles. And start by, again, to that point of wanting to be safe or maybe feeling shame or inadequacy around this. Start small by having a conversation with a, a close friend or family member. And then once you've had that conversation and you feel a little bit more confident, maybe talk to neighbors, work colleagues, and extend that circle out. Um, and then maybe you, you go to a group or, or you join an online group or something. So you're expanding your circle. I really liked that notion. I've, I've had many one-on-one -on -one conversations. I've had a couple of small group conversations with friends, but a lot of the time it's kind of been focused around in feelings of inadequacy because we felt like we can either protest or, uh, or what, um, yeah. yeah. Where, you know, that's where, you know, again, this idea, like I think about, so if you have resources, if you have financial resources, then, you know, you can contribute, you can, you know, you can donate money, you can donate time. I mean, there's organizations that need, organizations that are doing this work all the time. Like so many of us, yeah. Yeah. You know, and many people who have done no reflection or anti-racism work are suddenly like diving into this because they, you know, they see this and they know that it's important, but to understand that like, you know, we're, we're talking about three or four weeks here since George Floyd's murder. And there are organizations that have been doing this for decades, decades. And, and they still exist and they, mm -hmm. they need time. They need volunteers, you know, so like, you know, I would see that, you know, in, in the past weeks where, you know, people were gathering supplies to be able to contribute to the neighborhoods that were, 
you know, yeah. that were damaged and, you know, families that were struggling. And so, you know, whether that is like speaking with your money, whether it is you have a platform where people listen to you, you have some sort of following, then that could be really important for you to, to speak. If you're a business owner, think about the ways in which you are using the money in your business to um, support black owned businesses, businesses of other people of color, and different things. Like there are so many things that we can do that are super impactful. And it's not all just about showing up for a protest. It's been a, a, a part of the way I work to support women owned businesses. And I just naturally do that. For, for everything that I do, I love supporting women-owned businesses. There's no reason why I can't add um, businesses owned by people of color to, to that practice. It's something I already do. It, it should just be part of the way I think and work. And, you know, the uh, nonprofit organization that I support, Forecast Public Art, um, supports artists um, who work with public art to help raise issues of equity and social justice in, in the public sphere through public art. They are trying to uh, support um, organizations and artists um, of color and as a, as a white-owned organization to, to step back and give time for those other voices to be heard which I really admire about them. Yeah, I think that's a huge one um, that is becoming, um, that really, like, I have seen that, like, coming up and really coming to a realization that to be able to use my privilege as a white person who has some sense of, you know, professional, um, cachet with certain communities and everything like that is to be able to say <clears throat> I could call for and demand time and space that I can then hold for black people to be able to to speak and, right, right. and share their message it's not my message to share like I might be someone who yes. has the ability to get in front of groups of people but it's not my place to speak for Black people, Indigenous people, people of color. Yeah, but it's very true. He into a room, um, which I just think is very important. Um, you know, that's, and a, you good, that's a good point. Events. I work with a women's leadership group where we, you know, we do webinars, we do panels and everything like that and thinking about what's the representation, what are the voices on there? And it's, yeah. you know, it's pretty easy for you to say, oh yeah, I think about this person, this person. And it's like, well, when you start thinking about it, um, there was an organization that I've kind of, you know, um, had some involvement with and recently they announced sort of their, um, what is going to be their annual event that's going to be virtual and they announced, you know, sort of the panelists and keynotes and there was not a single person of color. And oh no, no. <laughs> In this day and age, oh. I, I can't believe that there's not like a secret checklist for almost every activity you do. There should right. be a woman 
Yeah. And there should be uh, at least a person of color, if not, if not several people representing several different communities. Right. You know, so I just, you know, I saw that. And again, like, I think this is a very well, you know, well-intentioned group that they support women very deeply. I know that there are women of color involved with it and so forth, but I just thought, oh, like that right there is a place where, where yeah. you the opportunity to highlight non-white voices and instead we're hearing from the same old people it's really true probably especially in the twin cities area may have already heard speak two three four times you know uh, it's a point i listen to a lot of public radio and um and i do watch a lot of informational programs on the tv or you know channels like netflix and things like that and one of the things um, that research showed was that when consultants were chosen, say it's a news, you know, a news article about the economy and what's happening, that they, they go to Harvard University and they speak to an economics professor, right, like as the voice of wisdom on a topic, that far too often these topics, these uh, prof the subject matter experts are white men. And I, I was thinking about that, yeah, this is, that's definitely true, but I've definitely noticed a change. In the, in the past month, I've noticed a change. You can see it on the television, on news programs, there are a lot of more black and brown faces, people from um, representing different cultures, people who look differently even, you know, you're talking about the L LGBTQI community. Um, I've seen a lot more of that, and I'm hearing new and different voices on the radio a lot in terms of the, the subject matter experts that they're going to. And I really, I really hope that things like that continue. Be yeah. Because if that, that's one avenue that people are taking information in from, then it helps us change our lens. I do wonder a bit about younger people and social media and, and what the research says about, about race and the things that we take in that way. I, I, I'm not familiar with it, but it would be interesting to think. I would hope that it's far more diverse. Yeah. Well, I mean, and I think the thing with social media is there are algorithms that present you with additional things that look and sound just like the things that you interact with. Right. So, I think if we're not making a conscious effort yeah. through our uses of social media and so forth to follow different accounts, look for different perspectives, I mean, it's very easy to fall, fall into that, well, I just want to hear people that are going to reinforce my belief system. Yeah. Um, you know, and even the, at, you know, when I'm pushed, there are times I, I have really for the last several years made a concerted effort to seek out the most unbiased news sources that I can, to really listen to a diverse perspective and so forth, so that I can sort of diversify the ideas that are coming in. Mm -hmm. I tell you, when push comes to shove, you know, I, you know, depending upon what your political leaning is, like you want to get on Twitter and hear that everybody else is thinking the same way. Yeah, like, I know it's hard. You know, it's just, it's the way that we want. We want to know that, like, our outrage or whatever it is that other people are feeling that way, too. And, you know, so I'll find myself, like, seeking that out. Like, 
and wanting to see that. And then I'll catch myself. Going, <laughs> That's the choir. And I need, I, I, I do seek out actually since the last presidential election, that, that instance of the political polarization really made me seek out different opinions. And I remember reading this very impactful article about a man who's a staunch liberal Democrat, um, real pro-lifer pro or pro-women's um, choice rights, who would go to the Republican National Convention every year. And, and he just had a sign that said, free listening. And he never spoke a word. He would just listen to what these people had to say. And a woman was telling him how um, big pro-lifer, how terrible she thought it was that people could get abortions and she was just going off on it. And he had had two friends who had had abortions and he was, he was just thinking to himself, if only she knew this other perspective, I could share this other perspective with her maybe she would see reason and understand that there's a different way of looking at this. And he was just about to, to say to her, I actually can tell you what it's like from the other side. When she broke down and said, I mean, these people are lucky enough they can have children. I'm not able to have children. And how dare these people, you know, think that this is something that they can, that they can choose. Um, and he, he just softened and he said, it's been a very valuable experience. So he goes to the Republican National Convention and listens. And I, I think that would be really difficult for me, um, but, but good on him for doing it. Right. Yeah. I, some of the other things that I really liked about the article are, are things that you and I do in our well-being classes and our practices all the time, starting with the breath is always our core central thing. Like the breath is something that can calm you down. Um, it's quick and easy. You can do it any place, anytime. I loved that one. And the other one, um, check in with those who lift you up. You know, fill your cup before you do the work. If you're gonna go protesting and you're feeling like you just don't have what you need, fill yourself up, connect with those people who who fill your cup up. And that's so interesting now, Sarah, because with the stay at home, we're not connecting in the same ways we used to. And we really need to find ways to genuinely connect with people. I think the first couple of months we're like, oh yeah, I'll do, I'll talk to you on the phone or whatever. And I have a lot more friends who I'm social distancing with on my porch and my deck now because we really need to see each other's faces more and connect more often and more frequently to actually get the benefit of that connection. And so I love that they put that in here about connect with people who fill your cup up. Um, and that to your point about if you're going to have these discussions with people, be sure that you feel safe with them um, and that they're people who will accept you, even if you make a mistake or if you ask a question that you know, doesn't sit right with the group, but they'll accept that as your best intention and in learning. So I loved those two points about the article. Yeah, and you know, I think back to our, as, as we talk about our three pillars of well-being, the physical, the mental, emotional, and the relational well-being, like those are the pieces, the underpinnings. Right. Of, you know, this, this bigger picture of holistic well-being and you know, this article hit exactly on that. Like, what do you do in terms of your relational well-being? What do you do to, 
take care of yourself physically. I mean, I love the fact that, you know, she talked about grounding yourself literally in the ground, whether that's, you know, being in the grass or gardening, just sitting there, whatever, like this connection to nature and how rejuvenating it is. Mm, yeah. About, you know, my husband and I in the summer, we take every every opportunity we can we have a beautiful lake and beach just north of us and we take every opportunity that we can to be there and be in the water and be you know refreshed and nourished and so forth nice. so nice and but then when i think about this in this lens of you know social racial perspective is people that don't have access to nature Yes. So, so you think about this and you say, again, even again with this article, you know, and this is a professional woman writing it or whatever, like we have a sort of a certain educational and professional privilege that gives us economic privilege that allows us to access these spaces. And so it always brings to mind for me this idea of like, what can we do to to make sure that access to nature and greenery and water and all of those things are accessible for everyone. Cause we you do. Know, there's power yes. so, and it's, it's rising, Sarah, you see it in, in mainstream media much more now than we ever saw it before that, um, that doctors are prescribing walks in nature and connections with nature. I do think that certain things like apps now you can, you know, Calm, Insight Timer, Headspace, all of these have elements of nature. I, I listen to Headspace every night before I go to sleep. They've got a, these things called Sleepcasts, which talk you through different scenarios. And a lot of the scenarios are quiet and they're just people speaking, but I found one called the Lazing Lagoon, where there's you're on a houseboat in a hammock while this person is speaking and you've got the the waves are kind of lapping up on the shore and i love it because with that sound i can actually picture myself on the shores of you know a sea lagoon somewhere and i and i do love that or to hear birds chirping and sounds of nature at least there that's one way to kind of access these things if we're not immediately there in a space where we could could do it but but to the different point about how do we ensure others have access to it one of the things i've heard that the new zealand education system does which i have great respect for is they do a reverse scale of um school socioeconomic um, measures for their participants and their resources. So the poorer the school uh, in terms of their participants and their, their economic status, the higher, the, the better the resources they get. So the poorest schools all have iPads and tech smart rooms and, you know, resources to have several full-time counselors and things like that. And the, and, and that makes sense to me because those schools that have high means will get lower level of resources because the, the families supporting the children who go there have the means to, to give that to the school. So I thought that was a really interesting way to try and even the, the imbalance. And also, 
the resources for paying teachers, you get paid higher if you go to one of these schools than if you went to a different yeah. school. Meanwhile, our education department is just is just shifting funding to private schools. You know, <laughs> it's just like, oh, like could we ever get to a point in this country where we just fundamentally make shifts that address the inequality that we experience in this country. Oh, I try to hold on to hope, but gosh, every day there's something new. So I do think we have to recognize that behind all of these struggles, where it, whether it's the female struggle or the, the black life struggle, um, is this notion of power. And that whether power was back in the day held by religious leaders, or in today's terms, it's, it's typically people with money, um, that those people are always going to have the interest of status quo. Um, and they will, they will develop rhetoric and tools and measures to prevent people from learning and knowing and engaging in the conversation um, to maintain their power. Um, I think about like apartheid ending in South Africa and how what a what an incredible change that would have been, you know, for a white president one day to say, okay, apartheid is ended and we're going to have an election and to to just really have that changeover happen, um, which we have to be cognizant of. Most organizations are are not going to do the the, the people in power are going to prevent us from learning prevent access to those resources to keep us where we are. So I think the, the more we can, we can try and address issues of equity and, and allowing all voices, we, we can try and get around that. Well, at, at, least, at least help it, in the very least help it. Have you watched um, Little Fires Everywhere? No. It's a it, it's a a series on Hulu starring Reese Witherspoon and Carrie Washington, but it's adapted from a book by um, an Asian American author called Celeste Ng, and she's an Asian American who actually grew up in the town that this story is based in, Shaker Heights, and Shaker Heights was is like the I don't know the Edina or the North Oaks of Minnesota. It was like the place where all families aspire to live. There are all the McMansions everywhere and, and everything's perfect in Shaker Heights. And she said growing, growing up, that's what she thought. Um, and when her family finally moved to Shaker Heights, she was like, this is awesome. We've reached perfection. And then she was hit with, um, you know, the people's reactions to her being an Asian American and not fitting in. And she was just like, but I live in Shaker Heights. How can this possibly be happening? It's, it's a really interesting story. It takes place in the 1990s between these two women, a white woman of extreme privilege and a black woman who is really poor um, and their interactions with each other and their interactions as mothers to daughters and their journey of self-discovery. And one of them is really living the Stepford Wives life of just, I just want it to look all perfect, never mind what's underneath, but it's gotta look all perfect. And the other one is all about ripping the cover off and the reality of everything 
Um, and she seems at, at the beginning of the story like kind of a dour person, but actually as you get into it, you realize this is just the result of years and years and years of oppression. And it's a, it's a really great conversation starter. I've asked both my kids to watch it, and my daughter has now, and we've had some conversations about race and equity and privilege based on, on that story, on that, uh, that series, even though it's a bit dated. Well, we're getting to our time here. Not that I want to uh, end our lovely conversations, but... It was a great conversation. Yes. And yeah, and I think, you know, again, as, as we've been talking about, you know, what we're doing with our work and going forward with, you know, when are we going to be able to do in-person events and, and things like that. Um, but with this discussion series, like, taking, taking this lens of you know, social justice and racial justice and fighting to make the world a better place. Um, and so I, I appreciate that we're looking at it through these lens because it's also, it's a way for us to dissect when we're talking about well-being. I mean, the first article that we, we discussed talked about that. Like, yeah. so whiteness of of the well-being world and you know how do we talk about that in a more perspective and when there's so many people mainly like tall thin beautiful you know white women who are making millions of dollars yep well-being space that leaves behind so many so many people um and sells this sense of like well-being you know, I mean, everybody, it's, she's easy to attack because she's put herself out there, but to look like Gwyneth Paltrow and just run in this realm and like, you just buy your jade egg and you're going to be awesome. <laughs> come for privilege and money and generational wealth. I mean, it is Gwyneth Paltrow. So I appreciate that, that we have been looking at that and using what is happening right now. Yeah for us to consider the concepts of well-being and how inclusive space. Right. I, I, and you and I just work that way anyway, but we also um, have always approached wellness and well-being from the state of don't have to be an expert, don't have to join a master certification program, should be simple, um, very affordable, very accessible. So I love the fact that when we talk about well-being practices, we talk about what works for you. That was another point of the article. You can't say if you do these three things, you'll be well, because not everybody loves to meditate and meditating isn't great for every mind. So what works for you? How can you access that exactly where you are? And the breath, you know, we always come back to the breath. It's free, you can do it anywhere. It's like the core thing, example of a well-being practice that anybody can do anytime. So I, I love that we've been grounded in that, in that kind of approach. And I look forward to continuing this conversation, Sarah, because I found it really interesting. I think we can find other articles to continue it. So thanks for the time. Thanks for finding it and for your thoughts and vision. You know, there was one point in the article um, I really liked you made a note on about societal pressure. 
do you want to say something about that? Because I thought that was so worth saying. Yeah, I mean, again, and it, and this is especially you know the case for women um, is that you know we're we're often expected to show up and care for everyone in our lives, in our families, in our workplaces, you know, all of this sort of stuff. And we're often guilted for taking time uh, to take care of ourselves. And, um, you know, this is just something that keeps on coming up for me time and time again. And, and I run up in this uh, up against this in my in my coaching with clients who are just like, but what am I supposed to do? Like I have this and, it, and, and I don't want to put pressure on women to add yet another thing, you know, with this self care. Yeah. But the idea, like we have got to flip the script on this flip idea. The script. Taking care of myself, my mind, my body, my spirit, my soul, so that I can be with my family, my career, all of this sort of thing. We can't do it with an empty well. Yeah. It's not possible. Yeah. And I think we're just, we're constantly in this burnt out stage of like trying to do this, trying to fight, you know, trying to make time, do all of this. And like, I know from my personal experience, when I've been burnt out, then I become very resentful of people. Right. I don't ask me of anything, uh, ask anything of me. And I, I really get, you know, resentful and that's not fair. You know, if I set things up that I'm just going to sacrifice myself to serve everyone else and not take care of myself. So yeah. again, it's, it's this thing where we're telling women like, you know, take care of yourself. It's okay to be selfish or whatever. Like it's not even about being selfish. The norm should be yeah. that individually, and this is what we should teach our children and everything is to say like, when you're feeling a little overwhelmed, when you're a little tired, like do something that you enjoy doing to take care of yourself. Take a break. Yeah. Fill your cup up. And, and that you can't fight the important fights unless you are full and ready to do it. So give yourself the headspace, connect with the people you need to, fill your head with what you need to, take the rest. You know, we always say that, like, if you're feeling a little under the weather, go, the, go to bed, take a day off, get that rest and come back. It's such an important point. And again, part of our well-being practice that we talk about in all of our classes and workshops. So thanks for raising that. Thanks for talking tonight. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> it was a great conversation. And um, we hope to see people again for another great discussion about well-being in, in today's climate. Love it. Thanks, Sarah. Talk to you soon. Thank you, Stay Leah. well. Bye.